0: Um. There's this like early science, and like, oh, Dave, Dave's got a funk on his backside. Let's try this oil in the water. Oh, <laughs> Funky Dave is no longer funky. He's just Dave, and he still smells weird, but not as weird as Carl and Karen. Welcome to Privy, potty friends. Um, sorry, it's been a while. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Privy is a podcast about toilets uh, recorded from a toilet where I am now. And you know what one of the fun things is, is trying to get all this set up inside a bathroom. Um, I pretty much have to do like a live check of, hey sweetheart, do you need to use the restroom because I'm pretty much going to hijack and occupy our restroom for the next eh, 20 minutes to an hour. So that's, thank God that my wife is a patient person. Um, I'm Hunter and I would say that I spend enough time around toilets, let alone on toilets to allow me to have done some real thinking about them. Toilets are very, very special. Uh, That's something that was very evident to me this afternoon as I scrubbed um, human fecal splash out of the underside of a toilet bowl rim, Um, but this week we are moving away from our porcelain potty friend to talk about his bathroom next door neighbor, big reveal That was the sound of a shower curtain moving the bath. Um, but we're not just going to talk about baths in general. I'm not going to show my hand that soon, but we are going to be going in, in a historical sense back to the Egyptians. And I guess there are still Egyptians today, but we're going to ancient Egypt to discuss bathing. And so as we transition into the topic of ancient Egyptian baths and bathing, I want to just note, like, there's a lot going on in the world. Most people are, are sheltering in place, staying home, um, and doing their part to stop the spread of a very, very bad virus right now. Uh, and that's good. And you might think to yourself, well, surely Hunter would have more time to record a podcast from his home restroom since he's stuck at home so much. Um, But that's not accurate, and that has not seemed to be the case. I happen to have some time tonight, so here we go. So ancient uh, Egyptian baths and bathing. So one of the things that came up when we talked about ancient Roman public bathrooms uh, in the first episode is, is how terrible it might have been to go to this public place to first reveal yourself to a degree uh, and then do your duties as a citizen of Rome into the stone benched holes they had in the ground. And as again, as I'm cleaning a toilet this afternoon, I'm wondering, like, did they have somebody on staff with the emperor who is like the toilet guy to go down there and sort that out when Dave either just like messes one up big time or things get out of hand. I don't know. It's something that I might look into. But but one of the things that I was thinking about is like when you're pooping, you're still technically wearing clothes. Like you might have to gird up the the robe a little bit to really get in there and make sure that you don't get it all over you. But you're still wearing clothes. I mean, you have exposed fiddly bits, but I mean – it's pretty easy to re-clothe yourself quickly when needed. Um, and for me, that prompted me to ask this question of, of when doing a classic squat and drop, there seems to be two schools of thought, pants to the floor and pants to the knee. And we're, we're already digressing from the topic that we haven't even arrived to. But there, there seems to be, like two, again, two schools of thought. Pants all the way to the floor, around the ankles, or pants at the knee. Um, And and I think I'm a pants at the ankle guy. Drop it all the way down. And and I think that gives you a little more poop leverage to just kind of, I don't know, sprawl out to more effectively relieve yourself. That's not scientific, and I'm not a scientist. And I'm barely a historian, um, but I would consider myself at least married to someone who enjoys history more than I do. So we're going to talk about history, specifically um, Egyptian history as it relates to baths and bathing. And I think think the argument for like pants at the knee is to guard from unwanted guests seeing something that you might not want unwanted guests seeing. But I I don't think that it lets you sit as naturally to make sure that the hose is free of kinks, if you will. Um, But all that to say, public baths, in my opinion, are much worse. Oh, excuse me. Uh, They're much worse than public bathrooming. Um, And though the ancient Romans had public bathhouses, we're going to go all the way back to Egypt to look at this idea of bathing And why bathing was so important to the Egyptians. And maybe it can give us a different perspective on our cleaning routines today. Uh, But I cannot stress enough. To the Egyptians, bath time was not this intimate time or this time to sizzle up a bath bomb, grab a beverage, turn on a show, turn on music, light a candle, and relax. No. No. That was not the point of bathing for the ancient Egyptians. First of all, because for most Egyptians, it was public, baby, in the duff, in the river, in front of Carl and all of possibly Carl's family and friends. It's really it's really a lot simpler than the Roman public bathhouses that come later in history. Um, when we think of Egypt, we are very quick if we had to like sit down and start writing out words that we associate with the Egyptian people. I feel like most people would not take long to arrive at the Nile River. Uh, and when we think of the Nile River, I, I don't know why. I personally think of crocodiles, which is concerning because to the Egyptians, that and ancient Egyptians... That was where they bathed. And for me personally, bathing plus any sort of reptile is a no-go, let alone a reptile that is larger in scale than I am. That's not okay. Um, And so the Egyptians, at least the commoners in ancient Egyptian culture, They didn't go down to the river to pray. They went down to the river to bathe. And it wasn't uncommon to go to the river with friends and strangers. And, hey, look, Carl's back. And now Carl's in the river. And about halfway done with your bathing, Carl's coming in. And Carl and Karen are the notorious stinky folk in town. And guess who's coming in and guess who's going to bathe upstream from you rank carl and stanky karen thanks carl thank god we're already in a river carl unacceptable and something that really made the egyptians stand out was the frequency at which they bathed um and so like in a lot of ancient cultures like you bathe when you get around to it, I think. Um, but for the ancient Egyptians, it wasn't uncommon for them to bathe almost every day, uh, and that and again, compared to like when you hop ahead to the Middle Ages, we're looking at like once a week. That's rough. Um, people begin to stank. I, I think after a day or two, but I I can't imagine living in the heat of Egypt and bathing less often than a week. But thank God, but thank God they bathe more often to that. Um, shoot. You know what? I shouldn't say that because like, I don't even bathe every day. Sometimes on a good week, especially when I'm working, which I'm not doing a lot of right now. Um, and that's okay. Cause it's just a different time. So Why did the Egyptians seem to be so religious about bathing? Well, here's the thing. It was kind of a religious thing for them. So to the ancient Egyptians, the adage cleanliness is next to godliness was an actual belief. They believed that being clean or bathing was an act that pleased the gods. And we don't always think of that. But in other words, one way... Um, that they worship their gods was by staying clean. And the thought process behind this, the way, as far as in my research goes, the way this belief worked itself out was that they believed that when they died, if they stank as a person, the gods would not want to be around them. Carl, your gods don't want to be around you if you die because you smell weird, Carl. So bathe often. And so maybe Carl's a little less pious and he let his pits get a little too funky. I won't judge that, but his gods might. So to appease the gods, regular bathing was done. Regular bathing was done. And I think to ensure that if they died from one of the many, many things that a person could die from back then, they bathed often to make sure that they were good with their god. And they also believe that when they die, whatever judgment they're going to receive in the afterlife may be lessened if they smelled good while they were on earth. And I think it has something to do with how you take care of your body. I, I come from a tr- Christian tradition where like we have this idea of like the body is the temple of God, so take care of it. And I... I think it's kind of a similar thing. Maybe not like the temple of the gods to the ancient Egyptians, but like you're taking care of something on behalf of the gods or the God system that you worship. And I think, I I don't know. That's an interesting thing. It's a cool thing to think that they were thinking that way. Um, But anyway, people regularly headed down to the Nile as an act to prepare For the chance that they may die. And much like the Romans to come, the rich people in Egypt were not stinking their sinky selves in the Nile with Carl. Carl goes to the Nile, the Pharaoh does not. So you get to share the water with Carl, but not Pharaoh. The rich go to special rooms in the home for bathing, or if you will, bathrooms, Um, rooms with a bath. These were um, serviced by slaves who would run out and get water out of the Nile and dump it into the tub or in a runoff system for the rich so that way it could, like, trinkle down on their heads real nice-like. A quick note here, uh, Pharaoh, just because you don't have to see Carl while you bathe doesn't mean your water may not have been affected by his juicy pits um so it's a shared water space and the water still came from there ah uh, so much like the romans to come the the commoners were not bathing in the same spaces as the rich or the leadership so the poor would not receive a formal bathhouse to use until much later in history uh and the first when, when Egyptians first adapted this, they adapted it from the Greek style bathhouses where the baths, um, where there were baths and a servant would dump water over you. Then entering the Roman period, they adapted Roman style bathhouses. And these had heated water for bathing um, via like underground heating sources. And that's cool. Um, you know, we always think of like running a warm bath. And we don't always think of like baths for a long time were not warm. They were cold. And that sounds just absolutely terrible. There's only one thing worse than a bath and it's a cold bath. No good. So what, what this is, is we see Egypt like tracing down the line of history and their technology around baths changes directly in relation to like, we need to be taking a bath. So as the technology for baths changes, we need to adjust our way of taking a bath to better and more effectively use the technology in this thing that is a religious thing for us. Um, and I didn't take this down because I wrote, I wrote the stuff up for this episode of, Weeks before the world began to fall apart with this virus. But like one of my jobs, I've been needing to do a lot more online uh, interactions and just getting out there online more and, and, and engaging online. And one of the things that's been cool is to see almost across the board groups of people working in the same type of field that I'm doing using new technology to adapt religious experience. It's really cool. Um, And we see this happening here with the Egyptians and Baths. And so as the technology changes, the Egyptians take on the new technology. And and even if they're conquered by an area, they, they begin to do that and take on the technology. And I think by the Roman bathhouse situation, there's a sense that well shoot we're doing this for a religious thing but dang carl why don't we just like chill out and relax like we got a dude dumping water over the top let's let's hang out it's warm let's chill for a little bit carl how you been how's karen she's not smelling as weird these days that's good but we need to jump back um a bit because carl hasn't quite gotten to the roman bath houses uh The goal to Egyptians is to bathe and not stink. And for them, a major aspect of what happens was adding a good scent to the experience. Um, So Egyptians, this is cool. Uh, One of the things that is, uh, I bet you didn't, you know, a lot of the world probably, if you'd asked them a month ago, hey, What's the proper way to wash hands? I bet you maybe like four percent of the population would have been like, I know how to wash hands the correct way, uh, and I feel like in the last yeah two weeks, I bet that number's closer to eighty percent of people know how to wash their hands in an appropriate way, um, and that's good. You know, I'm not saying that's bad, but one of those key ingredients is soap. And so the Egyptians would use a type of soap that was a mixture of clay and ash. And, and that's weird. But here's the here's the cool part. They would mix it with perfume. And so from the very beginning, there's this sense that like, hey, our soap needs to smell good. That's important. And they would call this this mixture of clay and ash and various types of perfume Natron. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, but it's N-A-T-R-O-N, Natron. I don't know. Linguists out there, email in, correct me please. Uh, but it would also um, often be mixed with animal fat, um, so like to kind of give a a smoothing and a softening sense, alkaline salts, and vegetable oil. Um and we read about this on a thing called the Ebers Papyrus, uh was which was this like Egyptian scroll that describes lots and lots of remedies and treatments. Uh and Having read some of it, I can promise you we're probably going to venture down that little trail one day because there is some wild, wild things on this papyrus that need to be on the Internet. And maybe Carl needs to interact with him and Dave, and we might even have to create some other characters because some of them are like super wild. Um, And yeah, you're ingesting things that I wouldn't recommend ingesting. Um, but for all you essential oil fanatics out there, the Egyptians would put different oils and compounds in the water to help remedy different skin conditions they received from living in a place with so much sun um, or living in a place where they bathed in a crocodile river a lot or living a long time ago before like modern medicine and stuff like that. They would add these oils and they would find that certain oils helped certain ailments. Um, There's this like early science of like, oh, Dave, Dave's got a funk on his backside. Let's try this oil in the water. Oh, funky Dave is no longer funky. He's just Dave and he still smells weird, but not as weird as Carl and Karen. And before like a leaving, uh, a leaving, that sounds like you're pooping. Before leaving, you first of all, you know that Carl was not like duffing out in the bushes, pooping and peeing before he gets in the river. He's doing his lot in the river where people are bathing. You know he is, and I, I refuse to believe that they did not go to potty town in Bath River that worked better in my head. Oh, well, we're moving on. And so like through this science, oil baths began to be used. Um, and then we should note that like, it's often stated and it's like one of these like weird facts of history. Like Cleopatra took baths in milk to help her skin be soft. Yuck. First of all, no, no shame on Cleopatra, but like, no, thank you. Cleopatra um she used goat's milk coupled with like okay goat's milk but you like mix goat's milk which I think is already a little more weird than cow's milk I don't know in my brain it is um, but you take goat's milk and then you like um, couple that with the nice nice heat of the Egyptian sun can't imagine that like I can't imagine that that goes well for that milk. I mean, it has to be soured. And that's a fun thought. Hopping into a nice sour milk bath. Nothing but your birthday guff suit and a handful of clay, ash, natron perfume. Those were simpler times. You know, I'm staring at a bottle of of hand soap right now. It's called Bright Winter Sky. um, And it's got a fun little polar bear on it and it smells really nice and it doesn't smell like curdled rotten nasty goat milk it doesn't and that's good and what's wild is god bless she might have actually been onto something um i was doing some research i didn't find anything about like the health benefits of a milk bath But it's agreed that like if the milk is curdled, it has more lactose agents in it. And the lactose agents are the stuff that is like possibly good for your skin. And all I'm thinking is like, thank God for lotions, y'all, because smooth skin is great. I love getting a nice lotion on my hands. I have naturally like dry hands and so like the constant hand washing that's going on in our culture right now is like winning the day against my dry skin. But a, a nice hand lotion is real good. It's real good and it's better than stinky curdled lactose goat milk. But there isn't, there's not a, no, there's not a snowball's chance that I, that I, and there's not a snowball's chance in hell that I am, Taking a bath in milk. that's nasty. And it's a huge waste of milk. And i I did some math because it's like, huh, why well, I, I don't drink a lot of milk, but like we have like a, at any time, like a gallon or two in our fridge. And so a typical bath, holds 40 to 80 gallons for, so for our purposes, we're going to say 60 gallons and on a good day, a gallon of whole milk and no, we're not using skim. The goal here is lactose agents. So we got to get the whole, um, is about three bucks. Um, we're out here in Oregon. So about three bucks in Oregon. So to fill a bathtub, 60 gallons with milk, I wouldn't go the full 60 because I'd be afraid of like spillage. So let's go 45 or 50. Um, displacement could be a problem. So the cheapest like this is gonna be is like 120 to hundred forty dollars to take a milk bath today. And a bottle of lotion is like 10 bucks or less if you sneak a sweet deal. I did the math for you. you don't have to figure it out. Lotion's better. Um, Egypt can teach us a lot about baths and bathing and I think the most important thing that we can learn is no matter what we believe, there's this notion that the things we do and the way we live directly impacts us and and our life after we are done living. We don't always think about that. Like, but like the the way we live now is going to affect after we have died. So much so like that most, if not all all the major religions and beliefs in the world have some sort of ritual bathing or act of purification associated with their worship somehow. And it's also cool that like taking those baths, they changed throughout Egyptian history. They didn't just say, nope, no matter what, we're going to stick to the crocodile Nile situation. Man, those Greeks have a sweet system, but nope, 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 nope. We're sticking to this. No. They, they were open to trying something different and that's cool, but the goal was always the same. It was to do this thing of worship to prepare them to be closer to their gods. And so in their case, cleanliness really was next to godliness. I'm just not convinced that baths are the best way to get clean. Um, so that's, that's ancient Egyptian baths and bathing, um, you know, it's been a while. Uh, and I think I want to, I want to hit you with, um, a Hunter's anecdotes to keep you afloat. So this one, this one comes, I'm trying to think of like one of my, my best bathing stories, but I don't, for a number of reasons, I don't have a lot of good bath stories. Um, and so I'm gonna hit you with a a sweet sweet uh, high school boys locker room story, and I promise, like, you hear that and you're like, "Oh boy, back up! I ain't listening to that. Forget that." There's only one thing worse than a locker room, and that's a high school boys locker room. But I promise that this is not what you maybe could think it would be. So, um, my freshman year of high school, uh, we, you know you you load in and you get your locker number and we go in and our, and our gym teacher's like, "Hey, hey fellas, get your stuff, go down in the locker room uh and go ahead and get dressed out and then come back out." And so like day 1 freshman PE, we're like, "Oh, I'm this is new high school. I think I can do this." Um we walked down into the locker room and the the bathroom setup was not okay. Um, mostly they had a toilet, uh, and there was no door. So like, if you were going to Brown into the toilet, tickets were not sold and the show was free. Like anybody could see you doing it. And so we walk in and we have, we had a young man in our class whose name I'm not going to use. Um, but. He was a wonderful fellow. I love the guy. And he didn't like pants as much as the rest of us. But we walk in and just sprawled on this toilet was our P.E. aid. And from the toilet, he said to all of us guys rolling into the locker room, go ahead and dress out, guys. Uh, if you have any questions, just ask. And he is stark naked, butt naked on this toilet, sprawled out. And I haven't even gotten to the weirdest part. He's just mawing a cupcake, sitting on the turd, turd throne, mawing a cupcake, waiting for us to get done dressed out so we could go do P.E. And I'm sitting here, I'm like, hey, I know you and I know your brother because he's in my class, but like, I don't think I'm going to ask you for any help as you eat your cupcake on the toilet while I get ready for P.E. That's just not going to happen. And so, you know, we did our thing um, and I, I distinctly remember our class being pretty good about showering which is cool and that doesn't really have anything to do with the story but we went on for PE and that was a fun beginning to freshman PE and kind of all of high school PE Um, so this has been Hunter's Anecdotes to Keep You Afloat Um, and now I just you know I really appreciate you guys listening Um, thank you listening to Privy. Um, If you want to give the episode a rating, uh, pretty much wherever you listen to the podcast, you can go on there, leave us a rating. Um, Pretty much that just helps other people find the show. And I'm going to try, I know I keep saying this, but I'm going to try to be better about getting episodes out more regularly. Um, The last episode, I'm sorry, it had a technical difficulty gremlin in the background. uh, And I'm hoping that with this episode, I have worked out the sound problem. Um, it's sounding good as I record. So that's always a plus. Um, but yeah, leave us a a rating and a review. And again, that just helps people find us. Word of mouth is the best way to get the show out there. Uh, you know, and I don't have like, well, I need to have so many listeners. I'm making it for fun. I'm having a good time. I'm talking about pooping. I'm talking about Egyptian people taking a bath. I'm living the dream. Um, But if you want to follow us on social media, um, Instagram or Twitter at PrivyCast, there's also a PrivyCast Facebook group. Feel free to uh, join us up on there uh, and I'll be trying to get more active on those. Um, Like I said, I've been doing a lot with my other job and social media and so it's I don't like social media and so we're doing our best with it. Um, Also, if you have uh, topic suggestions or corrections or you just want to say like, hey, I like bathrooms too, um, email us privycast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, Stay well, stay healthy, stay hopeful. Um, The strange times will not last forever. This virus will not last forever. Um, I love you all. And with that said, don't forget to flush.